Let's pray together. Father God, we are before you this afternoon as we contemplate the death of your son on this day, a day that was probably as difficult for you as it was for him, Lord. Uh, turn our hearts to those moments and teach us what we can learn and how we can live for what Jesus has done for us. And Father, I pray that uh, if I thank you for the words and the ideas that you have given me, and I pray that they will resonate with all who hear to the extent that they are your words, Lord. And if anything is uh, not of you, that it would be uh, uh, forgotten almost after it's said. And I thank you for this opportunity, and um, we come together in the name of Jesus, who sacrificed all today. I'd like you to um, listen carefully to a series of words and let your soul just grasp their significance today. Um, forgive, with, behold, forsaken, thirst, finished, commit. I'm sure and I hope that those words are familiar to you. There are seven key words that are incorporated in the seven statements made by Jesus as his earthly ministry uh, approaches the end. And it's good to reflect and to meditate on the seven last words on this Friday. Um, it's a long tradition in the church to do that, the day that remembers and commemorates Jesus' passion and death and death on a cross, death by crucifixion, and a torturous form of, of execution. So terrible that Roman citizens were exempt from it. And it was reserved for criminals and uh, rebels and traitors and so forth. And Jesus. And I want to make our way through all seven of Jesus' statements and contemplate how they uh, make up what commentators, some commentators have called the most beautiful sermon ever preached. Uh, a summary of the Gospels, Jesus' sermon from the cross. And Jesus died as he had lived, and he lived as he had taught. And that's what has happened on the cross. Um, as I go through this, as I was preparing for this this week, um, it, it, it wasn't just preparing a sermon, it wasn't preparing a message, it was in some ways a prayer. And as I went through these statements of Jesus, there were things in my own life that jumped right out at me that uh, I related to. And I'm going to share a few of those as a way of, of illustrating what Jesus is saying. And I hope that you will do the same thing. You'll grasp on something that is really significant in your life. And maybe it's something that's in the past. Maybe it's something that you have to do. But I'm hoping that that happens today. Um, in Jesus' words, there's a pattern and an intentionality. They're not the random words of a man who's dying um, a very horrible death and just shouting out whatever comes into mind. They really uh, reflect his priorities and his concerns. They, um, they're spread over four Gospels. Uh, there's only one statement that's repeated in two Gospels. All the rest are 
uh, over uh, individual Gospels. So it's difficult to say exactly how they um, uh, progressed through this, period, uh, this time. But if we know Jesus and we understand Jesus and his teaching and his life, we can do pretty well in putting him into an order that uh, reflects what, how he lived his life, how he served others, and we can establish a sequence of how he likely went through these statements from the cross. And the first word is forgive. Before anything happens, before he's nailed to the cross, when he reaches Calvary, the first thing that he says is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And it's related in both Matthew and in Mark. And this is Jesus' purpose, to come to bring forgiveness of sin, to release us from sin's bondage, uh, to release us from sin's guilt. In his name itself, Jesus, means that he'll save his people. He'll save his people from sin. Um, so now, as the crucifixion is about to unfold, his ultimate and first uh, concern is forgiveness. For his executioners, for sure. The soldiers who were doing their job, following their orders. But it's also forgiveness for all humanity who will believe in him. It's an active process. He is asking for forgiveness before the actual crucifixion and death. It's not responsive. Uh, it's not after the fact. It's the condemned forgiving the executioner for what is to come. And for us, whose sins have occurred centuries after this moment, we are assured of forgiveness in him because of this moment and what is about to unfold from it. And this is one of these things that uh, I was reflecting on in my own life. Uh, some of you know that uh, before I was two years old, my father was killed. He was killed in a very tragic situation. Um, if anybody's interested, you can uh, go online and do a search of Taster versus the United States, and you could read the whole story. Um, but it was one of these situations that a uh, young army guard shot and killed my father in a misunderstanding on Guam. He was the captain of a ship who was bringing cargo to the army. Boom, he was gone. Affected my life, affected my mother's life, obviously. I grew up in that situation. And I'm not going to say that I was raised to hate the man, but I certainly wasn't raised to like him. And I heard a lot of things growing up. And then I ended up in the Army myself, and I ended up a young guy in the Army, and I faced some of the situations that, um, those random things that happen that you really don't have control over, and you may just react because you have to react and you don't think about it. And I thought about that man who shot my father, and I forgave him because I understood possibly what was going through his mind. And when I came home from the Army, I told my mother that, and she was not happy, I tell you that. But I don't know if my mother ever forgave him, but I know that I did, and I knew that I had to do that. And I, at that time, it really, I could not say exactly why I had to do that, but as I understood, and as I got older, and I understood what Jesus had done to those who killed him, I could not live without having forgiven that man. I never met him. I never saw him. He's long dead, I'm sure, but I forgave him. 
And I think that's part of Jesus' message here, that uh, people do bad things to us, <laughs> but our job is to forgive. The second word is with. And he says to the thief who is um, crucified next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And there were two thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus. And one was mockingly unrepentant, and he was going to his death with hatred in his heart. But the other was repentant. He acknowledged his sin, and he was seeking forgiveness. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Um, he requests this of Jesus, acknowledging him as a king, the very charge that was made against Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus assures him that when he enters paradise on his death, this man will be with him. They will be together. The good thief, as history knows him, has gained salvation through his acknowledgement of his sin in his belief in Jesus as Lord, as Jesus as King. Um, and they will walk side by side into paradise. Vision that. The king and the thief. Um, it's a model for us and for our world. And as the uh, old hymn says, or at least I'm going to paraphrase the old hymn, blessed assurance, salvation is mine. And the third word is behold. John 19. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Having spoken words of forgiveness and salvation, and words that are the core of his gospel, he turns to two people who are the closest to him. And he speaks a deeply personal word of compassion and concern. And we don't know Mary's situation, but we can assume she's probably a poor widow. Um, we don't know if her family has cared for her or not, but she's obviously alone. Um, and Jesus knows that his mother needs help. And he puts her in the care of his close friend, John. And John, in his own gospel, lets us know that he took that on as his life's responsibility. It's so human for Jesus to make arrangements for his mother before he dies. It speaks to relationships for care for each other. It's consistent with his message for his, his message of love, you know, that we're called to love each other as we love ourselves, that we um, are to do unto others as we would want done to us. So he proclaims his gospel of love and compassion as he lives it out in these last moments of pain and agony. Um, I was recently going through photos related to my army experience in Vietnam, and I found one that I took of a grave marker in the San Francisco Presidio, um, the National Cemetery, and it, the name on the grave is Art Timbo. He was a friend of mine from St. Ignatius High School in the University of San Francisco. And Art died saving two of the men assigned to his command. He was a 23-year-old army lieutenant, same age, same rank that I was when I was in Vietnam. And I wondered if, given that same situation, would I have had the courage to do as he did. Jesus calls us to follow his model as he carries out his words of encouragement. 
Greater love has no man that he gives up his life for his friends. And on the cross, we witness a man of compassion and concern for others, not just his mother and his best friend, but for all. Um, uh, for most of us, uh, dying for the gospel is probably not likely. But for all of us, giving up something of ourselves, something significant from our resources, our time, um, our love for others is dying for the gospel in many ways. And that is the model in we have in Jesus. Um, the fourth word is forsaken. And for many, this is a hard word to hear. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What an amazing thing to have here from the Son of God hanging on a cross, crying out to his Father, why have you forsaken me? Why am I here? Um, it's a quote from the opening line of Psalm 22. Um, and, the, and it's related in Matthew 27. And the psalmist asked the same question. But for Jesus to complete his mission, he must die. But not only die, but experience the agony of separation from his father. Suffer that abandonment. The Apostles' Creed states that he descended into hell. In the act of taking on our sin and all the sins of humanity, he is totally separated from his father. That's the hell. Um, I've heard it said that Jesus had to suffer abandonment so we would never have to suffer it. Um, I, I would have, just imagine that his sorrow was indescribable. But it's not all gloom. The psalm also expresses vindication and deliverance, restoration. It begins with abandonment and like so many of the Psalms, um, it ends with the restoration we have in, in, in God's love. Psalm 69 expresses the very similar truth. But like so many of the Psalms, there's a desire for retribution against the writer, often King David's enemies. Psalm 22 does not seek retribution. Jesus does not call for retribution or revenge but looks to his Father for deliverance and restoration. This is resurrection. Jesus is very intentional in which psalm he quotes. The fifth word is thirst. I thirst. Again, related by John. And after all this preliminary leading up, uh, preliminary words and salvation, forgiveness, concern, relationship, and so forth, Jesus finally gets to his own needs. He says, I thirst. And he's thirsty. And that's quite an understatement. We might say he's dying of thirst. We use that cliche, not knowing what it really means to die of thirst, to be that thirsty. And that same Psalm 22 um, has an expression of abandonment but it also expresses a brutal description of thirst. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, one of those uh, uh, fragments from a pot that's found in uh, 
architectural sites that's dried up and covered with sand and so forth. So I said, it's, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. That is thirsty. A body just drained and dying. I've had the opportunity to build houses for Habitat for Humanity in some of the hottest places in the world. Haiti and Vietnam and Tennessee. And the heat and the humidity are scarcely bearable for this born-in-the-fog San Francisco kid. Without plenty of water, we could not work. I certainly couldn't. And I've had that tongue stuck to the mouth feeling. And I've often drained a 12-ounce bottle of water in one large gulp. I was so thirsty. But no thirst that I have experienced could come close to what Jesus experienced. It was not water he received, but sour wine and vinegar. And again, we witness Jesus, fully human, experiencing the extreme pain and deprivation of death by crucifixion. The loss of his body fluids, uh, sweating, bleeding. And they gave him vinegar to drink. The sixth word, finished. It is finished. Again in John 19, as we know, John was there. He was a witness to the crucifixion. So some of these more intimate pronouncements of Jesus, John heard them. John wrote them down. So what's finished? A mission, a ministry, a life, and a death. His death is about, the lead up to his death is about to occur. Jesus has done what he came to do. Everything is out of his hands. It's all in the hands of the Father. And John writes that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The last act of his will. The last act of self-sacrifice. Luke tells us that he cried out in a loud voice. The seventh word, commit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Other translations, notably the New Living Bible, say, Father, I place my life in your hands. The last moment, always submissive to the Father. The night before, he had prayed that the cup be removed, but only if it was his Father's will. And the cup is a reference to one of those uh, suffering servants uh, passages from Isaiah, Isaiah 51, where the cup is described as the cup of God's wrath. That's what Jesus was facing. But he took it willingly and continued to that last minute to rely on his father. But he didn't go quietly. After all he suffered, he managed a loud cry. Not a cry of defiance, but a cry of triumph. A shout out for what is to come. He drank that cup of God's wrath. He drank it for us. He remained submissive to that will of God throughout the entire ordeal, and now he anticipates the promise of resurrection and being reunited with his father, the God, his father God, and the end of his abandonment. So those are seven words. And we go back to the beginning and restatement and restate them, the touch points of Jesus' sermon from the cross are, 
forgiveness, salvation, relationship, abandonment, distress, submission, and ultimately triumph. But there is one last word, and it didn't come from Jesus, but it came from the Roman officer who was in charge of the execution. He's described as a righteous Gentile. He praised God. And he saw all the things that happened, uh, the sun disappearing from the sky, earthquakes, so forth. He saw all of this surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. And he said, surely this was a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. And so he was. And so he is. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this truth. Lord Jesus, we thank, this, thank you for all of these things that you suffered, that you did to save us, to, to tell us that this day we will be with you in paradise. And that day will come for each of us, Lord, and we look forward to seeing you in your glory. We thank you for your sacrifice. And we look forward to the approaching celebration of your resurrection. Amen.